Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. So welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, and this is episode 37, an interview with Chad Brown of Take New Ground, in which we'll dive into gaining insight into Chad's perspective of leadership as a practice. Learn what he calls his two reasons that people are in business. To dive into Chad's perspective on how and why storytelling is necessary to engage an audience. And learn how to align the various stories of team members, or perhaps audience members, under a unifying purpose, while also allowing individuals to express their own vision and much more. Chad Brown is a leadership engagement expert. He coaches executives and entrepreneurs in the art and science of leadership. He's an associate partner of Take New Ground. He's the host of the Naked Leadership Podcast with the founding partners of Take New Ground. He's founded a media production company called Shade Tree Films. And it's just a very insightful and interesting leadership expert. I think there's a lot to learn here. So we'll dive right in in just a moment. So before we dive more deeply, just a reminder about what this podcast is for. Thought Leadership Studio is a workshop in strategic positive influence. So you can consider this podcast an ongoing workshop to help you attain even more peak performance in your thought leadership. Think of the episodes as your library for self-training as a high-performing thought leader. So it's condensed learning. So keep in mind that with some of these topics, I spent years honing my approach with model building, testing, learning, and incorporating principles from breakthrough examples, as well as various other ways of innovating and optimizing. And my intention is to bring this learning down to a condensed form for your optimum empowerment. So I strongly recommend repeated listening, as well as keeping in mind the multiple level learning can happen at least to some extent outside of conscious awareness. Having an impact on beliefs is actually a higher level of influence with accompanying higher positive impact than the typical conscious mind learning, like remembering a list of the right things to do. And through my training in things like design human engineering and neuro-linguistic programming, systems thinking, game theory, I'm using techniques like multiple level learning, embedded metaphorical loops, accelerated learning, both to give you an accelerated training process on this never-ending continuum of being better at strategic positive influence, and also to act as a model to follow in how I convey the skills to assist you consciously and unconsciously in putting these to work in your own communication. And before I dive into this further, I want to remind you that if you're listening on an app, 
check out the link in the episode description and that will take you to the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com which has extra resources, a different perspective that which fits better on a web page than on an audible podcast episode to fill out your learning in this area, as well as links to some free offers like the Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership, which will help you utilize the building blocks of strategic thought leadership in your own persuasion of marketing or leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. So I'm Chris McNeil, host of Thought Leadership Studio, and I am sitting here with leadership engagement coach and expert, Chad Brown, who's an associate partner of Take New Ground. He's involved in the Intrepid Academy of Effective Leadership, and he helps leaders figure out how to create results with other people. Welcome, Chad. Chris, it's so great to be here. How are you? I'm doing great. So where are you coming from? I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. I love Charleston. That's one of my favorite places on earth. The food is unbelievable. Yeah, great food Um, for sure. Today, I'm coming from downtown Austin. I'm out here for South by Southwest and uh, doing a couple of speaking engagements out here and taking a couple of meetings and uh, working with actually one of our clients out here that has an activation as well. So it's been a good time. This is my last day here. I am on the tail end of, you know, how conferences can be. Um, So energy is still good, luckily. um, And I've had a great time, made some really meaningful connections uh, but yeah, so I'm downtown Austin now. I, I reside in Salt Lake City, well, just south of Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, so yeah, so so happy to be here. That's fantastic. So you do speaking, you do coaching, you do consulting. Where do you find your strongest sense of mission? What what kind of, and you can give me a specific example where it really connects with what's important to you. Yeah, for me, um, you know, where I find my mission in the work that I do now is I made a lot of mistakes in the past. I've I've had a lot of failures in my leadership and seeing the results of those failures for both myself and the people that work for me or work with me um, really motivated me to figure out this whole leadership thing. And once I started down that journey. I would no, I would not say I have it figured out now. I, I think that would be a misnomer. I think we're figuring it out the rest of our lives. I believe it's a practice. Most of the stuff that I engage in my life now is, is on a practice basis, not a figuring or answer or, or an answer basis. So, okay, um, but that, that failure that, um, and, and not even failure is not even the right word that, that those challenges in my past and my leadership had really driven me to the place that I am now where it's, it's such, there's such an art and science to leadership. As as you mentioned earlier, I call it, or or the definition I give to leadership is causing results through other people. And Mm -hmm. I went down that path based on my experience in a, in a production company that I started in 2009. 
made again made a ton of mistakes learned a lot of lessons and just became very obsessed with this idea of how do we engage other people how do we enroll other people to accomplish a common goal or a common or a common aim and um and i love it i absolutely love it i'm fascinated with it uh i i you know much to the chagrin of my wife i'm sure uh, I'm obsessed with it. I listen to everything I can get my hands on. I read everything that I can get my hands on and I talk it all the time. And uh, I love it because I think it is the only way anything meaningful happens in this world. That's awesome. So what I'm getting are a couple things here. One is a belief that leadership is a practice. Yes. And learning from feedback. You said you had failures, you know, there's from a certain point of view, there's no failure. There's only feedback, but I know what you mean. That's right. We see what happens and we adjust things. And that has helped instill a sense of mission in you. And you enjoy immersing in the art and science of leadership that you would define by in, in part enrolling other people in a common goal or aim. What would you give me as a shining example in your own experience of enrolling other people in a common goal or aim? Yeah. I mean, I think the best, I, I think the most tangible, one of the most tangible realms or contexts we can put this in is business, right? Sure. So we start a business, we, we start, people start businesses for multiple reasons, but most of the entrepreneurs and hard driving people that I work with, uh, there's, th it can really boil down to a couple of reasons. They start a business one to make money. I'm not shy about making money. I think making money is a great thing. I think there's a lot of good in the world we can do if we're financially um, savvy, if we're taking care of both of ourselves and then we can you know, have access to go out and take care of others in the world. Um, the, the other thing, so that would, be, that would be considered a name, right? We're here sure. to make some money. We're here to be profitable. Sure. Um, the other aim that I find common with hard driving entrepreneurs or founders is to get their ideas into the world or their creations into the world. And that feels successful to them because it's a legacy in ways. If we can get something out there lasting that makes a difference for people, then we create more of a legacy for us. Or not more of a legacy, but, but, but we formulate, we have a say in what our legacy is. Um, and so for me, it's very much the same way when I created the production company. Is like I fell in love with the idea that we could tell a story and that we could um, drive some emotion that caused people to take action, right? So the, mm -hmm. the, the production company that I had is a, still have um, in the process of actually selling it is the, I, we worked with commercial companies. We got to work with brands like Volkswagen, Pixar Animation Studios, Target, some really big stuff and some really big brands and big projects. And the idea that we could tell a story that we could help somebody feel something and then they would do something because of that. That was a really um, intoxicating idea for me. And I, and, and I became very obsessed with that for, for quite a while. And that was the other aim, right? So mm -hmm. to be profitable, to make money, take care of our family, take care of other people, and then also to get some goodness out into the world and, uh, and make a change in that way. Um, and that, in order to do that, you know, I could do it alone, but my impact is limited when I do it alone. 
When I do it alone, my impact is limited by my time. It's limited by my focus. It's limited by my energy. It's limited by my, my funds. So that's the reason every, you know, that's the reason we enroll other people into the aims, into the goals or into the vision that we have is because our impact can expand. And ultimately the, the potential is unlimited on, on the expansion of our impact if we're able and willing to enroll other people into the vision. So when I talk about leadership being, you know, the idea of causing results through other people or enrolling other people into our aims or our visions, that's what I'm talking about. And really it's expansion of impact. That's powerful. So impact is important to you. And telling a story that helps someone feel something, which adds value, of course, to the recipient and all those that the impact. I mean, that's powerful. And that's what the thought leadership is all about. It, what are the components of that? If you had to describe the pieces of the puzzle that somebody wanting to engage others, to enroll others and get them immersed into a story to tell together to make an impact, what would be the steps to take or how would you describe a way of thinking or being that would bring that about? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're story, we're, we're storytelling creatures by, uh, by, we inherited our storytelling. Um, it's the way that we relate to each other. It's the way that we rate, relate to the world. Um, and ultimately one of the, one of the key things, one of the unique things that I work with leaders on is how do we use story to impact our teams and how are we paying attention to their stories as an individual? So often we want to shortcut people. Um, especially when we lead them, especially when we're trying to be profitable, there's so much stuff to get done. You know, the to-do list is never ending. And we bring a lot of people, a lot of leaders or, or business owners or business founders bring people in to their organization to relieve their to-do list. And if that is the purpose for bringing people in, you're going to miss that individual's, that human being's story. And they're going to miss yours. And if we're missing each other's story, we're missing an opportunity to really fight for one another and for something meaningful. Meaning every person that works for me or with me has their own personal vested interest in why they're there. They have their own story. They have their own vision for their life. If I don't understand that story, I'm going to miss how my company and how my work can contribute to their story. And if, if I miss that, then I don't have, you know, I don't have a team that fights for my success. I have a team that does what needs to be done. And then they go home at the end of the day. But if I'm connecting those stories, we're both fighting for each other's success. So I, we can't ignore the, the fact that we're all motivated. We make decisions based off the stories that we hear and more importantly, the stories that we tell ourselves. So if you're if you're if you're listening to this and you're struggling to get your people to do something that you want them to do or you know they're not keeping their commitments or you're not having the success that you want to have I would suggest slowing down for a moment and getting clear on why are they there what is their story what is their I guess as you know Simon Sinek says what is their why get clear on what the vision is that they have for their life and how your brand and your work that you're doing can contribute to that. 
Well, that's awesome. So by having people engaged where you have shared values or shared core beliefs, maybe that allows diversity in the stories where people can unfurl their own vision, but you're unified on a higher level with a common purpose. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I see, I see it all the time. So many business owners and founders, and I call them business owners and founders, not leaders for a reason, because I think leadership is something we choose. It's not something we inherit by, by the nature of starting a company or having a title. And I think so many leaders or so many business owners and business founders are, are concerned about their people's visions. Because what if they don't, what if their vision takes them away from what we're doing? Right? What if they, what if they're working for me as a data analyst, but their vision or their dream is to be an actor or an actress? And that can, that can be a, a threat that can feel like a threat to them because they have invested in these human beings to be there and do the work that they want them to do. And what if they lose them and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And so they avoid this idea, this topic of what's your story, what's your vision. And I think that's a huge mistake. I think if your if their time with you is a stepping stone towards their vision, that's a beautiful thing. And you're actually going to be more successful with human beings in those places that see that you know, see their time with you as a stepping stone towards, or maybe they see it as their, as their end all be all with you. But whatever it is, if you're connected to that and connecting it to the vision of the company, you're going to be way more successful. That makes perfect sense. And I, I wonder what your thoughts are on how that dynamic plays out in an organization, maybe a service organization, where the leader has a unifying vision, but there's this need for the people who actually interact with the customers, the front lines, who are going to be a little more forward-facing in being in touch with what customers really want and how that can weave into the story of the company. So maybe this letting decentralized variations of a story unfurl from the front lines might help a company be more in touch with its customers. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. I, I had an experience yesterday. I'm out here in Austin and there's a, there's a little restaurant that I love to go to when I'm here in, in Texas. It's, it, there's a few of them in Texas called Cava and it's a Mediterranean place. And it, it's kind of, you know, it's one of those where you go in and you pick your protein and you pick it if it's a bowl or a burrito or a salad or, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, I got to talking with the, with the woman who was behind the counter. That's the, your first content contact. And she was so friendly and she was so open and she was, you know, inquiring about how my day was and what I was up to and nothing overbearing. I get how sometimes that can be a little overbearing when you're just, you know, wanting to get your food, but she was very in tune with me. And, uh, and, you know, we had a great conversation. She was giving me all these recommendations of where I should go in Austin for, for more food and for entertainment and opportunities and all of that kind of stuff. And, and I said, well, what about you? What are you like? What are you about? What do you want to do? Or what, what are you up to? And she told me a little bit about her life, where she's going, what she hopes. She's a musician. She's, you know, in, she's here in the city to make something happen with her music 
and finding opportunities there. And for me to be able to interact with a human being, it actually, with, with a, a story, it made me love Kava's brand even more. Um, because she wasn't a robot on the other side of it. She wasn't trained to be a robot just taking orders on the other side of the counter. It was a human connection that we made. And it was more, to me, that experience was more than just ordering my, you know, falafel bowl. Uh, I got to see a human and it, re it reinforced my love for the brand and for the food and my experience there. That's interesting. And, and how does that humanness of relating to a brand through its people being allowed to be people play out with the need a leader might feel this get everybody unified under a message so we have a story to tell as a brand yeah it's a great question um and sorry if you already asked that and i missed it i'm now realizing that, that that's possible um i'm i'm very much um in opposition to black and white thinking, to myopic thinking, like it's this or that. Um, I, I have a line of hats that I wear. I mean, this is audio, so people can't see it, but all of my hats that I wear have an ampersand on them. And of course stands for and. And it's a constant reminder, both for me and for my clients when I'm on a coaching call with them or we're in an offsite or whatever, it's a consistent reminder to remind them that both can be possible. If you find yourself choosing between this or that, the question I would invite you to ask yourself is how could you have both? How could both exist together? And that's the leaders who are wondering that same thing. I would ask the same question. How could you both have individuals with dreams, visions, stories, and enroll them into a common, or as, you're as you say, a unified story or brand representation? I believe both are very, very much possible. In fact, I believe your story, the brand, the story of your brand, the story of your product or your service and your leadership is stronger when you have individual stories that can align with it. Well, maybe that that seems to tap into um, a way of thinking I might call openness of a brand that is about developing relationships with customers and through those relationships, the customers can discover their needs better because there's a the trust that comes from the humanness and people being people and not being quite as confined. And that confinement, I guess, can be an obstacle. Uh, and sure. which you say you run into and with that ampersand, that, that brings up the thought, do you run into limiting beliefs in people who want to develop their leadership and the need to get out of that, to learn to question their own thinking a little bit about what leadership is in order to have that ampersand principle more at work? Right on. I mean, this comes back to uh, the idea of practice. Um, because I believe practice, if we're truly practicing something, you think about it in the traditional sports or traditional sense of sports or in playing an instrument or whatever, what do we think of when we think of practicing? Well, there's lower pressure for one. This is just a practice, right? So sure. mistakes are welcome here. 
um, and and challenge it. We're going to challenge ourselves, but we're also going to take the feedback from the challenge. And hopefully, anytime you're practicing, not anytime, but hopefully there are windows of your practice where you have a coach. And it's really easy for us to think about this in the sense of music and sports. It's like, yeah, duh, of course, your coach is going to be at your practice so that they can see what you're not seeing. They're going to see the blind spots and then help you see them in a way that you can then apply the learnings. So I would say, you know, the practice principle has been so powerful for me because if I'm practicing, then I'm constantly seeking coaching. I'm constantly seeking feedback and wondering, hmm, what is it that I'm missing here and who can help me see it? And if I have that attitude, if I have that perspective, I believe I can accelerate that my success. I can accelerate my progress uh, or progression because I'm getting more eyes on it. Sure. And I'm getting the opportunity to hear the perspective of other people. So um, right on, I would say one of those, one of those elements of practice is like find coaching, find feedback and hear it and listen to it as often as you possibly can. And something else I'm getting too is being curious about your own blind spots. That's right. Curiosity is the foundation of all of it, right? So we're, I say there's two types of le- two types of learning, learning to listen, or sorry, there's two types of listening, listening to learn and listening to prove. If you're listening uh. to learn, you're curious. That's the foundation of your listening. That is the context of your listening is like, I wonder what I can learn here. If you're listening to prove, we all know the experience of listening to somebody else thinking, okay, what am I going to say next? Here's the point that I'm going to add to that. Or here's the argument that I have for that rather than, you know, and, and then we just, we don't even hear what the other person says. We just bleh, say what we're, what we were there to say. And that would be what I would call listening to prove. Um, now we can show that like that can show up in our leadership as well, right? If we're unwilling to see the feedback that's in front of us, that our people are giving us, that the market's giving us, that our, that our own actions and results are giving us, we're, we're most likely looking to prove something, prove that we're successful, prove that we're a good leader, prove that we know what we're doing, prove that we have all the answers and the list goes on and on and on. So my invitation to people is like, start paying attention to where your listening is in the context of it. Do you, are you really here to learn or are you here to prove to the world something? Well, it seems like a guiding principle that especially in a fast changing world of business, people don't have Instagram <laughs> with the curiosity about how are my old mental habits limiting myself or in situations that might be overly hierarchical or, you know, information doesn't travel up hierarchies very well. So the person in the ivory tower is missing what the people in the front lines are seeing as an opportunity, perhaps. That's right on. You know, it's, it's so interesting. Um, so many of the organizations we go into, um, good, well-meaning leaders or good, well-meaning um, owners and founders uh, in that position, and they're not getting the truth. They're not getting feedback from their people because at some point, people started giving them, telling them what they want, what they thought they wanted to hear. 
Sure. And they were missing the opportunity to actually see what's true and see the feedback. So that's, that's a, that, that is a, a travesty and it, and it, it ends in, in, um, you know, so many leaders, it's really popular to talk about the loneliness of leadership. And I say one of the major components that contributes to the loneliness of leadership is that you've surrounded yourself with people who aren't telling you the truth and you sense it. That's a very lonely place to be. Right. If you don't have a team, if you don't have people in your, on your, in your corner who are willing to give you the feedback, everybody's telling you what you, what you want to hear or what they think you want to hear. You're going to live a very lonely existence. Well, how do you nurture that kind of culture as a leader? Well, <laughs> practice it. How, how well are you giving feedback in curiosity? How much are you tolerating right now that, you know, feels like a toleration, like those, those things that aren't quite right, but you're not saying something because it might be uncomfortable, or maybe you are saying something, but you're unwilling to hear what's there, right? A lot sure. of leaders are willing to correct people, but unwilling to hear why things are happening the way that they're happening. Um, so how well are you giving feedback? And then what do you do when you get it from others? Do you shut it down? Do you make an excuse for it? Or are you open? Do you consider it? Do you thank them for giving you feedback? Even if it's something, look, even just because there's feedback in the world doesn't mean you need to take it doesn't need to mean you need to listen to it, but I would at least consider it. Sure. And, and I would thank the source of the feedback regardless of what it is, and where it comes from. And if you make a practice of that, like actually seeing the people across from you that are giving you the feedback and you genuinely are genuinely are grateful for it, then it's going to keep coming. That reminds me of something. There's a author I like who is passed away now, but he used to give workshops where he would have all the participants, once they're in, of course, these workshops are given in like large hotels and conference rooms. And he'd have every participant write down everything they noticed about the hallway coming to the conference room. And mm -hmm. once everyone had done that, he had them compare. And he found out nobody's description was the same. Mm -hmm. And no matter how detailed any one person's description was if you say oh here's a standout description you really have a lot of sensory awareness or situational awareness they could still pick up something from any other person in the room that they hadn't noticed mm -hmm. and that was nice it sounds like a simple exercise but it was kind of to me experiential learning that you can it's novel everybody has some per some perspective, some angle that fills out your model of the world that helps inform you if you are willing to question your own perception. Of course, as human beings, it's very easy to get attached to our own beliefs. That's right. And identify with them and start to filter out other opinions, especially as we ascend up perceived leadership ladders within organizations, whether we're climbing them or building them under us as an entrepreneur. And, and it becomes maybe if we're not careful. And I'm, I'm, I know I've asked the same question, but I, I'm finding gold every time you give an answer. 
about <laughs> you know, how do you nurture that in people? If you had a client, if you think about one of the times you've worked with someone and, and there was kind of a breakthrough in their perception of being open to questioning their thinking as a leader to help them expand their model of the world and what they could do next. What kinds of things do you do to set up that environment or did you do in that situation? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. First, I want to point out, just so we can all relate to each other as humans in this conversation, and I'm not, you know, being positioned as some sort of uh, expert above this mentality, is that what you're experiencing when you get, quote unquote, attached to your beliefs is very natural. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's perceived survival. It's written in your DNA to get attached to your beliefs because back when you know the saber-toothed tiger was the was the threat, you had to believe certain things in order to survive for your family. Yeah, the other, to feed your the other community. Tiger ate your friend; the next one might eat you. So you might want to take that, that into account. That's exactly right. So I just want to say I, I always want to be very explicit that like this is um, this is human. This is the human experience. There's nothing wrong, but there's nothing wrong, bad or broken with you because you want to preserve. You want to preserve belief. Now, the threats are no longer there. So you're going to continue to have this experience of it feeling like a threat. And I would just encourage you to go with that. You're going to go in. You're going to step into the unknown. You're going to step into what you are, what you know is going to help you progress, which is being curious. You're going to step into that, even though your brain tells you it's scary. Even though fear comes up, you're still going to, you can step in and you can sit with both the fear and the experience of connecting with other people. So um, one of the ways that we help unlock this in cultures is a very simple question. And when we hear a dogmatic belief, that's how we talk, talk about it is dogma, um, because dogma is belief without questioning or belief without curiosity. Um, and if we hear in people's language, and that's how we really gauge where the culture is at, we start to listen to people's language because that's the, that's the tell of their beliefs. And when we hear dogma in language, we ask a very simple question. And the very simple question is, if that weren't true, would you want to know? Ooh. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not true. All I'm doing is I'm gauging whether or not you're open to it not being true. And that gauge is going to tell me if we can continue the conversation about possibility. And I've had experiences where leaders have told me, clients and, and, you know, people have told me, no, I'm not open to the idea that that not being true. Conversation over. No problem. But this can't go anywhere because we can't consider any possibilities. Sure. Or I guess you could ask, hey, what's it do for you to hold on to that belief? Is there maybe some other way to get that same thing? Yeah. But sure. Sure. I mean, my next, my next, um, my next question when somebody says they're not open to, you know, a conversation about how that might not be true is, uh, you know, I, I just simply ask them, I wonder what you're protecting. I wonder what the fear is. That's a, that's an interesting exploration. Um, 
So anyway, I, I think that, you know, we encourage cultures just to adopt that line of questioning um, because if you can do that, it's a very much an engineering question, actually. I was out here, I, I mentioned I'm out here South by Southwest and, and hearing a lot of engineers speak, uh, software engineers, listen to a mechanical engineer last night as he talked about this, his liquor company that he's starting. And one through line that's very clear to me is um, to be a successful engineer, to be um, an effective engineer, you have to be willing to question the premise. Um, and, and if you're willing to question the premise, then you can make discoveries in solution. But if you're very certain that this is the way the premise is, this is the context, it's the only possibility of the context, you're going to miss the opportunity to solve the problem or to solve the challenge. Um, and I think that very much applies to our relationships as leaders when we're unwilling to question the premise that we've made up, that we hold so dear, then we're, un, we're unable to access the possibility of solution. That plays a lot into what I understand about systems thinking, where the major leverage points in systems think we look for leverage points, where it can make a big difference with a little effort. And it's the paradigm of the people who design the system that you're operating within. It's the mindset. That's right. From. And also what you're something that's coming up as you're dropping these nuggets of leadership gold is I wonder about how much you run into, and this is a question for what you see out there as a consultant and speaker uh, and coach, if people having self-limiting beliefs in leadership that might have kind of a, a fear of success because they believe all oh, something comes with that or I'm not suited for that, but something that limits uh, beliefs of, pos of possibility where they don't really allow their true potential to unfold as much as it could as a leader. Yeah. I I'll speak from my experience personally to this, if that's okay, yeah. um, rather than what I see out in the field. And, and this is just a mirror of what I see out, out there in the world. Um, for me, there was a point in time in my production company where um, I was traveling more than 300 days of the week. Um, I had allowed my clients to become the dictators of my life. I was not the husband or the father that I was, that I wanted to be. I was not proud of who I was as a husband or a father. Um, and uh, there came a point where I thought to myself, and I now have language for it. I didn't have this language for it prior, but maybe this will be helpful to somebody listening that can actually put language to this. What I was feeling was if success means more of this, I don't want it. And so many of my clients that, that find me in a moment, the moment that they're in is if success means more of what they have in that moment, they really don't want it. And that's not a conscious thought. That's not a conscious idea that we, you know, that we have language for. It's, it's more of a subconscious experience of like, I don't know if I want to make this thing successful. I don't know if I want to go and, you know, do what it's going to take to, to make this thing grow because I don't yet know how to, to be with it in a meaningful way. It's stressful. It's high demand. 
you know, all of that sort of stuff. So even consciously, we may be saying to ourselves, I want this thing to grow. I want this thing to blow up. I want this thing to be successful. And subconsciously, our body, our uh, nervous system, everything within us is saying, no, no. And that can actually dictate the actions that we take and keep ourselves stuck. Absolutely. So what do you do about that? How do you notice that? And how would you change it? That's great. Um, I compare it to an iceberg. So our conscious, our conscious um, thought, if you imagine the iceberg, right, you've got 90% of it underwater, you've got 10% of it on top, on top of the water. The 10% is that conscious thought that, you know, we're aware of. The 90% is under the water. It's the unconscious thought. And what's crazy or not crazy, but what's just the nature of an iceberg is the iceberg is going wherever the current is going, regardless of what the wind is doing. Right. So if you think about this below water, above water, the wind is the force on the on the 10 percent. The current is the force on the 90 percent. And so our if if we're not in touch with what's going for on for us unconsciously. We're just going to be taken places and we can't figure out why it is that we're there. So the idea is to get clear, to lower the, I, I say, you know, lower the level of the water, get to the 90%, find out. And this is, again, it's false. We're going full circle in this conversation. You must have somebody in your corner to show you where you might be missing something, what blind spots you might be uh, experiencing. Otherwise, you're going to go on with the unconscious and the conscious, wondering why you are where you are and can't figure out what, how, to, how to change it. You must have something that interrupts that system. Some of us can do it on our own. I would say it takes a lot longer. Um, it takes a lot more mistakes <laughs> sure. um, and a lot more work in introspection. I, you know, I, uh, we talk about accelerating the rate of leadership and the only way we can accelerate the rate of leadership is by helping somebody discover what's going for them, going on for them under the surface of the water. Absolutely. I mean, it's such a powerful dynamic, the unconscious and even in persuasion, most people make decisions largely based on emotions and unconsciously. So if you're not taking these things into account, that's, that's powerful. So what kind of work you do with clients? Can you give some examples of how people would notice they need your help and what would be an initial engagement where you work with them? Yeah. Thanks for the question. I really appreciate it. Um, most of company founders find me when um, again, when they know, when they start to notice that if success means more of what they currently have, they may not want it. They don't know if they can handle more. Some of, you know, culturally we call this burnout or, um, or lonely leadership. Um, sometimes we call it, sometimes leaders like to put it on the circumstance of their teams, right? So if you're noticing that your team is not performing, that you're consistently missing deadlines or, uh, or projects seem to be taking longer than they should, all of that sort of stuff. Those are all signs to get some, 
outside perspective. And I don't look, I don't care that it's me or anybody else. Um, I, I love working with founders. I'm not the right fit for everybody. But if you're listening to this, whether it's me or anybody else, get some outside perspective. Somebody who's, and here's the key. I'm going to give the key to anybody listening. If you want to know how to value an outside perspective, check in on their commitment. What are they committed to? Are they committed to your aim or are they committed to an agenda or an aim that they have for themselves? So as a coach, as a consultant, my entire uh, my entire way of being is to get committed to their aim, to what it is that they say they want. And if I'm committed to that, then I can see clearly where they're getting in their, their own way. I can see clearly what they're not seeing in the context of what they say they want. But if I have my own agenda, if I have an idea of where I think they should go and I'm going to try to get them there, then I'm going to bring all of my own stuff in it. I'm going to be an advisor, not a coach. An advisor gives advice from their experience, from their perspective, from their idea of success. And that's needed. I mean, that's, that's a, that's, that can be valuable. But a coach must lose themselves in the client's aim. And, uh, I mean, just from my perspective, I've come across very few coaches or consultants that understand that. Well, that's a great description so, of the difference between coach and consultant. And not that someone couldn't wear both hats, but it is distinct. Yes, it is very, very distinct. So if you want to know if they're a good coach, just check in on where their aim is. Find out what they're committed to. And if it's not yours, if they don't repeat back to you exactly what you say you want then they're probably not a coach. They could be an advisor, but take it with a grain of salt. And how would someone reach you to um, contact you and say, hey, it might be a fit to work together? Um, I'm, I'm on the socials. I'm on Instagram. Put out a bit of content on Instagram, LinkedIn. I host a, I host a podcast with our two founders, Naked Leadership. Awesome. Um, so you can check out that we have, we release two episodes a week. Um, and you know, one of my most favorite episodes is one we just recently did. It's, it's episode 145 or 146, I believe. Uh, it's titled how we do confrontation. And it's actually, a, it's a conversation that I brought up with, with our two founders live on the podcast. They didn't know I was going to do this. Oh, and nice. it was a, it was a, it was a disagreement that we'd had uh, a way that I, you know, in a, in a moment where I thought that they weren't seeing me and they were just seeing the objective. And so I confronted them in, on the podcast, we had a wonderful, incredible conversation about that. And I think, you know, it became, we've gotten such great feedback and it's become a, a really nice model for people to listen to and understand what's possible in confrontation. Uh, and how we can connect to each other. So you can check out the podcast, Naked Leadership, uh, again, or email me. Awesome. And I'm going to, if you're a listener, uh, these links to Chad's podcast, Naked Leadership, and his social media will be on the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. 
So if you're listening on the website, just scroll down. If you're listening on an app, the link to the episode page is in the episode description. And this has been awesome, Ted. I feel enlightened by your perspective. Great, great. Chris, you're a very generous host. Such a great listener. Good questions. Thank you for giving me a moment to shine in front of your audience. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate it as well, brother. Have a great rest of your day. Thought Leadership Studio. Thanks again for listening to Thought Leadership Studio. This has been episode 37, interview with Chad Brown, Leading as a Practice, the Power of Storytelling, and more from Chad Brown of Take New Ground. I hope it was extremely enlightening for you as it was for me. I appreciate you being a listener of the podcast. If you have not subscribed, please subscribe. If you're not given a review, I'd love to get a review from you. And if you are listening on the app, please check out the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. It's got some resource links, including to a lot of um, Chad Brown's resources and also the Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership and some other free offers. So the link is on the episode description if you're on an app, if you're listening on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. Hey, you're there. Just scroll down the page. So I'm your host, Chris McNeil. Thanks again for listening. And look forward to seeing you next week. Thought Leadership Studio.